If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 1 down through 19. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in the cities. When John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up from the are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But then what shall I liken this generation or compare this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their friends and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. This is a really interesting passage. When Jesus sent out the twelve, he told them not to go into any Gentile city and not to go to any Samaritan city, but rather to go only to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach the kingdom. Remember back in chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Jesus said this, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of Samaria. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then drop down to verse 23 of chapter 10. He says, When they persecute you in one city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel Before the Son of Man comes. And we talked about that. That is not an end time prophecy. It was an event in this time. Because now in chapter 11. It tells us that now he's going behind them. Into those same cities. He's coming right behind them to bring in the kingdom. 
But their idea of the kingdom is not what God had prophesied about. Their opposition to the Messiah was because they did not expect him to come like he did. They thought that the kingdom would come in, the Messiah would sit on a palace throne and restore Israel to prominence in the world. That's not what God prophesied. As a result, they completely missed what God was doing, and the scriptures were clear about what Jesus would do when he came. Listen, there's several verses I want, and you can note these down unless you, if you have my notes, they're already there. Isaiah 61 through 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to all, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then in Isaiah twenty nine eighteen, <clears throat> he says, And in that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, the eyes of the blind will see out of obscurity and out of darkness, the humble shall increase their joy for the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And then in Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will song, sing, for the waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And finally, in Isaiah, excuse me, 53, 3 through 6, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, <clears throat> imagine John the Baptist having proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah and is the Messiah. Imagine him sitting in a damp and dark cell put there by Herod, thinking to himself, this is not what I thought was going to happen when the kingdom came in. So in order to make sure he hadn't made a mistake, he sends emissaries to Jesus. And they come and say, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, I take great comfort in this. You know why? Because I remember how reading earlier in the Bible, John boldly preached Jesus. And yet, here he is. He, I mean, he recognized the Spirit of God coming down upon him and anointing him. So why this question? Think about it. Why is John, who boldly preached Christ, saw the Holy Spirit come down, hears about what Jesus has done, why is he asking this question? Most of us here who know Jesus have boldly proclaimed Christ. We've shared our the gospel. Some of us have ended up suffering for the name of Christ. And think to ourselves, Lord, I've served you for, served you for XXX years, whatever, now all it seems like I get is a prison. 
Satan can put us all in prisons. You know that? Without bars. But it's a real prison. He can make us, make our friends forsake us. Our brothers and sisters deny us. He can get us in a depressed state thinking God is done with us. And then we turn to Jesus and ask, are you really the one? (laughs) Am I really doing the right thing here, Lord? This is where it's very, very important to be loyal. First and foremost to Jesus Christ. Actually, faith is really loyalty put to the test. Did you know that? Faith is loyalty put to the test. Remember his blessings of the past and recall his instructions to you in the night when you would wake up maybe early in the morning and the Lord would speak to you from his word. Maybe you hadn't even read it but it, or weren't reading it, but somehow he's speaking quietly, privately, encouraging you, comforting you, telling you to hang in there, keep going, keep doing this. People change. They can be your friend one day and turn on you the another. And then we see it. God always brings us back to Scripture, doesn't he? To remind us of the fact that he hasn't changed. To remind us that even though people change, he'll never change. And sometimes we wonder, is Christ really king over this? And Satan's causing so much trouble for me. But we forget where the kingdom is. And that's the problem. Listen to this scripture in Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered to them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. Indeed, the kingdom of God is Within you. Where the king is. Is where the kingdom is. Amen. Is the king in you. Then the kingdom is in you. And he's already told us. He says that you and I who are truly saved. Are his kingdom on earth. Therefore we are going to enjoy. Much of the benefits of his kingdom here and now. And much of his suffering. Here and now. Sometimes from those we least expect it from. But Jesus' response to John is this. He answers with a question. He didn't say to John, well, of course I'm him. You saw what happened there at the baptism. He didn't say that. He calls John's attention to the word of God. Go tell John what you see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor or misfortunate have the gospel preached to them. And finally, blessed is he who is not offended at me. Now, this is a mild rebuke, not a really strong one, but a mild one. You see, John and his disciples have to be open to God's unfolding plan. Even though Jesus' ministry did not exactly match their messianic expectations, they had to go with him on it. John had his memory stimulated, as it were, by being reminded by Christ of what the Scriptures said about the Messiah. 
So Jesus appeals to John's knowledge of the Scripture. And I'm sure that this gave John comfort in that damp, dark cell where there was no light and all he's doing is waiting to die. I want you to look at something. Romans chapter 15, 4 and 5. It's really interesting here. And I'm going to share this with you because I want you to grasp the importance of Scripture to God. Romans 4, 15, 4 and 5. For whatever things were written for before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Then listen to what he says. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ. Notice how scripture here that God compares himself to his own word. Isn't that interesting? He says we through the patience and comfort of scripture have hope. And then he says the God of patience and comfort. There's no comfort without the scripture. They command us to be like-minded toward one another in Jesus, and they command us to follow him. So <clears throat> it's, it's an amazing thing that's going on here, this question that John sends to them. It's amazing. So who is John the Baptist? You see, he's turning to a look at a group as they're looking intently at Jesus, and they say, well, now what did you all go out to see when you went out to see John? A reed shaking in the wind? Now what does he mean by that? In other words, did you go see out there some crazy man being blown about by the wind? Or did you go out to see a man in soft garments? Those in soft garments live in a king's house. So what did you look to expect to see? This is an interesting question that Jesus asked. They say a prophet. He goes, yeah, a prophet, but more than just a prophet. But he is one of whom it is written, Behold, I send you my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before him. Jesus quoted verbatim Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. John is more than a prophet here. Why? Because, first of all, he's the last Old Testament prophet now don't make a mistake about that john is not a new testament prophet he's he's written about in the new testament but he's not a new testament prophet jesus hasn't died yet right and the new testament doesn't really start the new covenant doesn't start until jesus died and rose again so john is an old testament prophet but he has a very special place jesus says to this among those born of a women, of women. Now that's an interesting statement. It's a Jewish idiom actually to describe an ordinary human birth. That's all it means. Born of women. So he's being placed in all those who have had a fleshly birth. And he says there has not arisen a prophet greater than John. If you drop down to verses 13 through 15 in Matthew 11 there, listen to what he says. For all the prophets and the, and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it. Boy, this is important. If you're willing to receive it, John the Baptist is Elijah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Did you hear him? Jesus made a prophetic statement that cuts across all these people today who are caught up in all this end time feeding frenzy. Who say, well, their future Elijah is going to come. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah. If you go back in Luke chapter 1, we find out that he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. God wasn't going to literally send literal Elijah back, like a lot of people maintain. No, there's John standing right in front of him. Even though I know they asked him if he was Elijah, and he said no. To God he was. <laughs> right? I don't hear many amens here. Let me ask you something. Why wouldn't you be willing to receive it? Why is it so difficult to take all of God's word about all that he says? Instead of picking and choosing what you want to follow. The issue here is this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just because you're sitting in a church doesn't mean you hear God. If you find something difficult to accept, you must No matter how difficult it is to accept, turn to Jesus Christ and and say, Lord, I humbly accept it, though I don't understand it. You know, if I understood everything in here, I wouldn't be in this church. (laughs) I might have some notoriety that Billy Graham has, even though I doubt it. He doesn't know it all. He didn't know it all either. Don't you see how important this is? To say to Jesus when he says, if you're willing to receive it. That's the most difficult thing that I see for church members in the modern church in America. They are told things in the word of God and they say, well, that's not the way we do things. Well, or if you're willing to receive it. And here's the real issue. Listen, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. So if you can't hear, you have another problem. So why does he call John born of woman? Well, back to verse 11, he gives no one greater than John uh, of those born of women. But here's the amazing thing. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Now, John was a great prophet. There were a lot of great prophets. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven... Is greater than John. Man, that ought to make you feel good. <laughs> okay. We are not born of woman anymore, folks. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is your Lord, even though you may be the smallest, most unlearned person, who's born of God, you have a higher position than John had. That's awesome. Right? That is awesome. John would not even bend down to untie or didn't feel worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. And we wear royal shoes. Hallelujah. John was under an old covenant that was required, do this and get blessed. And we're under a covenant that says, be blessed and then do this. Hallelujah. 
Every person in here from the smallest child who knows Jesus to the oldest adult in here is born of God. Wow. That means that the Father has a very special love for you. Which he will not take back. You see, this is what you need to concentrate on in your Christian walk. Not what that person or this person over here is doing. What did Jesus do for you? And who are you with him? You see, God never intended for the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints to be segregated at the end. You know, there's church and then there's Israel. He never intended that. The Bible does not teach that. What it teaches is this. Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. All these, speaking of the Old Testament saints, obtained a good testimony through faith, but they did not receive what was promised. God providing something better for us that they, apart from us, would not be made perfect. In other words, we're one with Abraham. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put him on. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. nor We're all one in Christ. And if you do belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. Wow. See, a lot of people just pass right over that and try to create some silly doctrines out of it. But we are Abraham's seed. We're going to sit with Abraham in the kingdom and commune with him and Isaac and Jacob and so forth. Think for a minute what Jesus is saying here. The simplest, untaught, sinful little child of God is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. It's not something to boast about now. I mean, especially before God, it's something to take great comfort in. Great comfort. Thinking of how much God loves you if you're a believer in Jesus. It's amazing. Now, Jesus compares that Jewish generation to a bunch of children, boys and girls. He compares that Jewish generation. And here's what they say. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned and you did not lament. What's he saying? What he's saying is this. You did not conform to our idea of what the Messiah should be. Get it? So, he makes a comparison of himself to John. He says, John came neither eating or drinking. And what he meant there was, you know... They said he had a demon. He didn't drink wine or any alcoholic beverage. He didn't eat food that would be considered gluttonous. And they said he had a demon. Because he wore camel's hair and ate bugs. And honey. (laughs) Then Jesus says about himself, The Son of Man came both eating and drinking, ate with sinners and publicans. And the self-righteous people said, Look, a glutton. A wine-bibber, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said this about that. Wisdom is justified 
by her children. He meant this. My friends, if you want to be in the ministry for Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. It's real messy. It's real messy. Mike, you mind if I use that? You said it the other night. Okay. It's messy. You can't please the self-righteous people in your church. Those who hold on to tradition rather than the Word of God or who slander and gossip about people, you can't stop that from happening. But it hurts. A lot. You see, coming along with Jesus may be messy, but just remember this. You are a God-born child of God. Think about it. You're a God-born child of God by the Word of God. So just be faithful. No matter who talks bad about you, no matter what you have to face, no matter what you encounter, be faithful. And there's a warning here as well. And the warning is for anyone who thinks they're a Christian and acts like these Pharisees, the warning is that they're really rejecting Christ and they will not escape judgment. There's no way to be in God's favor unless you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Do you understand that? You can be a good, faithful church member. You can be a very moral person. You can be, you know, serve in the church. You can serve in your face off. Unless you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you will not escape judgment. He's the only way to the Father. He paid your debt to God. And you say, well, how did I end up owing a debt to God? Because God designed you and, and created you to be perfectly in his image. And while you sin, you're suppressing that image and you owe God for that. Wow. The sin is storing up wrath because you're suppressing the truth about Jesus. And without the death of Christ for you, you are eternally Separated. You know something? Nobody in here has to die for their sins. It's too late. You're already dead. (laughs) You were born dead. You were born dead in your sins and iniquities. And then you get born again. Yay! And then all of a sudden, you hear from the Bible, now you have died with Christ. So you're dead again. So how'd that happen? This is a different kind of death. That's a death to self. That's a death that takes the cross and says, oh, I love that old rugged cross. I'll turn it in someday for a crown. Amen? That's what he means when he says take up the cross. He rose from the dead in the event that, an event that is often mocked by people. Both of the world and some religious people I know in some of the more liberal churches mock that. Do you realize how important the resurrection is? On Easter morning, Easter falls on April Fool's Day. And I'm going to talk about being a fool for Christ. (laughs) Because Paul says the world considers us foolish. So come on April Fool's Day and find out what a fool you really are if you follow Jesus. (laughs)
So, in summing up here, he rose again, proved his full payment. He's now the advocate of everyone who is a child of God, even though we're still sinning. So, sinner, you can't get to heaven without Jesus. Come to him today. Believer, obey him today. Don't obey your idea of what it means. Just look and see what he has to say and do it.